This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Algon. <laughs> and I'm AJ Meyer. On this podcast, we interview actors and writers and directors and producers and agents and managers and aerialists and personal finance gurus and personal fitness gurus and voiceover artists and I think I said casting directors. And um, we, we sit down and, and ask them questions about their journey and hear their stories and then uh, basically talk about our journeys on either side of that and then stick it out there on the worldwide interwebs for you. And, of course, we are just two dudes with a podcast who love learning, love meeting new people, and love br- disseminating good information and so if you hear something on the podcast that you disagree with or that you agree with and would just like to add more of your your own experience to that please feel free to reach out there is a, a ton of ways to do that and you can find them all at our website insideactingpodcast.com and on t- today's episode we have part one of our chat with hercules himself <laughs> mr kevin sorbo it was such a cool experience to sit down in his Westlake Village mansion across from him and uh, and just hear him talk about his journey and his story. And I just I, I can't say enough good things about uh, the kind of guy uh, I experienced him to be. So make sure you guys stick around for that. I'm on the other side of the country. Where are you? I'm also <laughs> on the other side of the country. Uh, so uh, we we were we just we were just recording this segment and then it dropped out. But you were we were talking about how this is kind of like I guess now the second episode where we're like moving towards the most mobile version of the podcast it could possibly be because you're on your phone in like a lobby somewhere right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the other sort of mobile-ish uh, version we did was when that episode where I went to uh, Yosemite and I found like a cabin or something that had Wi-Fi and yeah. literally sat on the back porch. And, and, but but uh, when I did that, I was on my computer. Yeah. And now, now I'm on my phone. And, and, and I was saying before we started recording, like, thank goodness I got a new one because I don't know if my old one would have been able to handle this. Right. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, this is this is nutbags. I'm 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 literally on my phone. I, I I'm I'm connected to you via Skype. You're recording on that end. I've got our Google Doc of our our episode outline in front of me on the. I mean, it's it's it, I. You know, we were joking before, but I literally could be walking around the streets of New York if it was quiet enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's the cool thing. Like, as soon as I can be on my phone too, and we can have decent audio quality, we will be like 
pretty as mobile as it as it gets. Like a lot of people do podcast episodes on their phones, but it's like you record the phone call and it sounds like two people on their phones. Um, so I like that right now. It kind of sounds like like it's pretty passable. I think the uh, the call quality on this. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm sitting in a, a, a like a business center uh, in a in a hotel in New York because I just finished uh, recording an interview for the podcast. Actually, yeah, I so, can't I can't wait to hear it. You were saying it's it's going to be a really good one. It is. It is. I think our listeners are really going to appreciate it for sure. Sweet. So what's new in your As, world this week? Um, I had a really interesting week, and I'm I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it because. Part of what made it interesting was I signed an NDA, (laughs) so I kind of can't talk about it. I had an audition. It is related to my pick of the week, so we'll get to that later, and people can kind of put the pieces together on their own so that I don't get in trouble. But um, what was interesting about the audition was that the, the sides were not actually from the project. They were from something else, but they sent a breakdown of several different characters from the project that they are working on. So side, so sides from a project that, that wasn't the project I was auditioning for, breakdown that was. Okay? Interesting. And what they, what they wanted, I put myself on tape too because um, they're not in New York. <clears throat> and what they wanted was they wanted people to take the characteristics of the character that they identified with most in the breakdown and apply it to the sides. The sides did not necessarily lend themselves to all of the characters. So the one that I identified with most, the sides were actually very odd in terms of the choices that I would make were I to just do the sides as written right so i did the sides as written meaning with the words but with the characteristics of this other character and it was so much fun and actually a really amazing exercise yeah i was gonna say in 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 making strong choices unconventional choices and challenging what you know what logic might dictate would happen in such a space Yes, exactly. And it, cool. and it and it ended up being very freeing because I didn't have to follow I didn't follow the script word for word. I, I modified like a word or or two here and there. Very 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 small things that you probably wouldn't be able to notice unless you had it memorized. Hmm. Um and even then it probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal. And I and and I also completely ignored all of the quote unquote stage directions. It's so it's very <laughs> David Kaganish of you. I, I, I mean, the part in the interview, uh, I can't remember if it was part two or three or maybe even one where he talked about, you know, when Steven Spielberg or somebody was talking to these soldiers in the war that had experienced war and their best friend was killed right next to them. Their reaction was that they laughed because they were so happy it wasn't them. And like, you know, like that whole conversation totally baked my noodle. And just to hear that you had a chance to really kind of go to the same place here with this is really cool. Yeah, it, it, it was playing against type, which I'm a big fan of anyway, yeah. going into an audition and just like doing something very different with the, with the material. But in this case, that's what I was being asked to do. So it was, it was a lot of fun. That's so, really cool. 
that was uh, that was part of my interesting week. And plus, putting myself on tape, asking somebody from the show to to help me out. Um, you know, we we I went over to uh, his apartment because he has a slightly better space. We hung a sheet on a wall. Um, you know, recorded the whole thing on my on my iPhone because that's kind of what we do nowadays as yeah. actors. It's so it's such a strange uh, mobile techno world that we live in. It's it's very strange. God bless the <clears throat> iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I think he has. I think he has. Yeah, right. This episode brought to you by the iPhone. <laughs> Yeah, what's um what's been going on with you, brother? Uh, let's see. This week, I've been spending a lot of time um just working, and I I my pick of the week, um God, I guess it was last week was uh, Mr. Money Mustache that blog. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just I started at the beginning. I've been going through those posts in chronological order and just uh, soaking up everything that this guy has to offer. And I dusted off a few um, old kind of personal finance books and. I don't know. I got I got super focused and excited about my my kind of financial life and I set some goals and with some weekly milestone check-ins and worked a lot this week. But the the thing that was in, at, at a thrival job by the way. Um but the thing that was different about it was that I was just so enthusiastic and happy to be there because I knew it was getting me closer to these goals. Oh, and, that's so cool. And with like the daily or the semi-daily or the weekly check-ins, I'm like, I'm so motivated to see my numbers, uh, you know, go up or down based on whatever thing I'm tracking. But it's just, it's funny how simple uh, a shift, I feel like that's my thing. I'm always about like the simple, profound, you know, noodle bake things, but like how simple a shift it is just to have some goals and some check-ins, but just how, how motivating it is for me. I'm, I'm learning that I'm that kind of person. That's, that's like, if I don't have goals in my life, then things aren't, uh, things aren't firing on all cylinders the way they could be. Wow. So, um, I did that. And also I'm, I've been secretly working on some, uh, some music, um, these past few weeks. And this week, uh, I'm going to be sharing the very first uh piece of that of that music project i've been working on so anybody who's interested uh we will probably talk about it next week but uh but stay tuned um to you know my various channels if you're interested in in checking that out Ooh, yeah. i'm interested <laughs> yeah i mean it's nothing crazy but you know I'm, I'm excited to to finally start shipping a little bit i've sat on a lot of music for a long time and and i'm excited to to share what's what's uh what i'm working on now I like that you said secretly. Um, I have a I have a secret for you, Trevor. You just told thousands and thousands of listeners. <laughs> it's not it's not a secret anymore. Oh <laughs> shit. So we've got uh, we've got one email that we wanted to touch on on this episode, and we've also got a voicemail. But um, we're actually going to sh- put it on the shelf until next episode when we have a little more time and and resources to respond to it properly. But um, we did want to respond to this email from Pavel. I'm going to say Pavel, not Pavel, but I don't know for sure. Does that? What do you think? Is that right? Uh, I'm going to guess Pavel simply because at one point in the email he put an accent over the A. Okay. 
but okay. I don't know what that means because okay. I don't speak Russian. <laughs> so. Right on. Well, uh, that's the Americanized version, uh, I guess we'll call it. But but it's cool because Pavel wrote in and he he shared. He didn't really have a question. In fact, he did not have a question. He just wanted to kind of write in and, and share his his journey. And what I I just think this is really inspiring. I, I kind of get goosebumps when I think about sharing this now because. I just love where this guy is coming from. He's been listening for a long time. He's he's in his 30s. Uh, and he said four years ago, he was sitting in front of a computer doing some regular, quote-unquote, regular job in the Czech Republic. And he knew two languages at that time, Russian and Czech. And then he just was sitting there one day, and a question popped into his head. And he said, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And then he says a few months later, he was in New York City, uh, had flown into JFK, knew absolutely zero English whatsoever, except, and he says, except for, quote, my name is Pavel, and is with a Z, uh, denoting, I I suppose, a pretty thick accent. Uh, He had no job, he had no friends, he didn't know anybody except for one person who invited him to the States and offered him a place to stay. And then he even said, uh, this world is full of great people, you just have to be open and willing to meet them. And I just, I love that. I, I actually don't watch the news because I read a study that said that people who watch the news are like, you know, so X number of percent more afraid of other people and afraid to go out into the world. And Oh my gosh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, it's a study that you read. Yeah. It was, uh, Oh I mean, my God. That's so cool. I don't know how formal it was, but it was essentially it was because if you look at the news today, it's all just fear mongering. It's all about how evil and awful the world is and people are dying all the time. And yeah, you know, it makes card. people uh, agoraphobic. Agoraphobic. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's like I'm just I don't want to feed that to my brain. I choose to believe the world is a good place, and that people are <clears throat> are by far and large good people who are charitable and and want to take care of each other. I think we report on those awful things because they're like the huge exception to the rule. In fact, no, it's, uh, it's sensationalism too. Yeah, yeah, it and, and, and Tom Shadyac talks about that in his book. He says the 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 massive number of acts of cooperation that have to happen every day for humans to to live and thrive in society is like mind boggling when you think about it. Just the the incredible amount of social rules that we all abide by that we can go out into the world and be safe and taken care of and eat and earn money. It's like, it's amazing. Like, we are such a sweet <laughs> species. Uh, and it's just like every once in a while you have some crazy dude at, at you know, University of Santa Barbara or US, oh, USC, God. whatever it was, that awful UCSB. thing. Yeah. And you hear about that and you think, oh my God, everybody's out to kill me. But really, it's just, that's like the one thing out of bazillions of acts of cooperation and charity and love that had to happen, uh, you know, every minute for things like that not to happen. So... Anyway, um, I digress. Uh, so he says he stayed at this, uh, at this person's house um, for a while, saved some money. Uh, it's a small town in upstate New York. He said it's about two hours away from the heart of New York City by bus. Uh, and he basically, while he was staying there, saving money, uh, he made a list of two things he needs to do to become an actor. And, and he says he calls this the most inspiring country in the world, which I just love. He says, number one, learn English, and number two, learn acting. And he said it took him four years to complete the first item on that list. He went to ESL classes. He did a ton of homework and self-education programs, which he still does on a daily basis. He read dozens of acting books. 
Uh, he took a lot of acting classes. And this is all while he was working in illegal jobs. He was working illegally because his student visa um, wouldn't allow him to work legally. So he was risking his, his time here as well. And then he says, basically, long story short, he ended up at uh, William Esper Studios in New York City, uh, just finished his first year of the two-year program, and he finally got his green card. He's eligible now for his sag after card. He's done a few little movie things. He's lost his Russian accent almost completely. And then he says in parentheses, nothing is impossible. Everything is in our hands. We just have to believe and desire, and the universe will respond. I'm like, I'm in love with this dude. I just want to give him like the, the biggest high five in the history of high fives. And then he says uh, he reached he reached the next section of his list, which was uh, now he gets to move into the city because he still lives upstate. Uh, he gets to get an agent. He gets to start building relationships, uh, working as an actor because he still has some part time jobs. And then he says, lastly, he wants to make a huge, all capital, huge donation to the podcast because uh, he considers the podcast to be the boat and water which is helping people to reach the island full of happiness, creativity, <laughs> inspiration, and money as a result of pure desire to express ourselves. Uh, you know, like, can you love this guy anymore? I don't think so. I mean, talk about going against all the odds. And he's just, like, fearless, and he made a plan, and he put in, you know, he, like, talk about sweat equity, man. You know, he just yeah. he put in the work. No excuses. <laughs> no excuses. And it's just, you no know, excuses. and it, it's, it's like a classic example of you see, uh, I'm sorry, you, be, you see what you believe, not you believe what you see or mm. did I get that backwards. No, you got that right. Yeah. You know, like you can choose to believe that it's impossible and the world's a tough place and that you're destined for a life of difficulty and, and, you know, compromised dreams. And that's probably what you'll get. Or you can choose to believe that it is possible, that there are people out there who are willing to help you, that the universe has got your back, and then you can just start taking the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. And before you know it, you're in a situation like him where he's come a great distance, literally and figuratively, in just a few years, and he's already starting to, to realize his dream. I, I, just, I, I love everything about his, his message. So, so good. That- so freaking cool. That uh, that statement about nothing being impossible is beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, and on a personal note, I'll just say, you know, Pavel, being that you're in New York and I'm in New York now, uh, you know, I'd love to meet you even if you don't have an opportunity. You know, I'd love for you to come see the show, but even if you don't have an opportunity to come see the show, um, if you're in the city, um, <clears throat> you know, tweet at me uh, or, or email the podcast or something and, and, and let us know. Because I'd love to, you know, grab coffee or, or a bite to eat with you, buddy. Um, I'm sure I'm sure it would be um, just as inspiring for me to sit down for that, you know, 30 minutes to 90 minutes as it would be for you to listen to our show, um, you know, uh, over years. So, so jealous, man. So jealous. It's so cool. <laughs> awesome, dude. Um, well, Pablo, thank you so much for writing and sharing your story. I mean, I, I, I know... You know, AJ, you and I feel exactly the same on this when it's like the best part of this, of doing this thing is, is getting to connect with people on the same journey who were just like making it happen, you know? And Mm -hmm. and then when they reach out and they say, let's grab coffee or something, it's like, like that is a, that is just, there's, there are no words to describe how awesome that is. Thank you, Pavel. Inspiring. Indeed. 
Thank you, dude. Uh, cool. So uh, let's roll into... Speaking of inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Let's roll into part one uh, with uh, Mr. Kevin Sorbo, Hercules himself. Yeah. I'm going to let the interview speak for itself. Enjoy this, guys, and we'll catch you on the other side. Hey everybody, this is Trev. I'm sitting here with Jen and uh, the man himself, Kevin Sorbo. Kevin was uh, the original Hercules on TV for seven seasons. You've shot over 150 commercials. You've done some modeling in your your career. You were very active with uh, some some charities. And uh, you're doing a lot of films. We were just talking just now. You've got like four or five films that you're working on. So, uh, really busy. Yeah. Good problems to have. Very excited to have you sitting down with us. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. So, uh, we would like to usually just start at the beginning, just kind of find out what your journey was like that brought you into this kind of industry in this world. So I know that you were born not near LA in any remote sense of the word, small little town called mound, Minnesota. It's uh, about 30 miles West of Minneapolis. On the beautiful shores of Lake Minnetonka, we were home to Tonka Toys. My little town was where they made Tonka Toys. How about that? Yeah. So it was popular about 10,000 people, and probably a third of the town actually worked in the, in the factory there. And uh, Dad was a school teacher there in the 7th and 8th grade math and biology classes. My mom was a nurse, but she had five kids. I'm the fourth of five kids, so she didn't do the nursing. She was pretty oh, much wow. full-time staying at home with us. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of where it started, just as, as a little kid, just, you know, doing what little kids do. Cool. And you were you were really, I mean, we were looking at your IMDb bio in the car mm-hmm. on the way over, and you are you were pretty athletic. You played, like, four, four sports. Played a lot of sports, yeah. yeah. I played football, basketball, baseball, and golf. My dad, in the summers, worked at a golf course to help, you know, teachers don't make any money. So he had a, you know, five kids. He's got to keep making income. So in summers, he worked at a golf course and said, you better take advantage of this because, you know, a teacher's salary you can't afford golfing you know but uh it was a sport that i ended up especially my two older brothers and myself of the five kids just fell in love and we got good at it in spite of ourselves uh-huh. so i'd run out there after little league practice with my baseball grip and just whack around play barefoot but it, it i got hooked on it real quick and it's become even to this day it's it's a big hobby for me i, I golf whenever i can really yeah well it's you're not too far from a, an actual golf course you i'm like actually just right down the road it's where yeah. i play all the time yeah right on this is called north ranch country club it's pepperdine's home course oh really that's where they yeah they come over there from from pepperdine's probably they got a bit of a drive but that was you know it was the nicest course closest to them i think you know because it's cool. a pretty good track cool and then in, i think in high school and college you, you also played basketball and you were yeah football yeah Stay busy. Hockey I just love it. as well. No hockey. I, you know, I played hockey up until about ninth grade. I love playing hockey. I'm okay. being a Minnesota guy. Everybody's got to get ice, but I hate the cold weather. You know, I think yeah. the milkman was from California, so I, yeah. I just I hated cold weather. So I wanted to stay inside. And, I, and basketball became a pretty big love for me. Actually, when I even moved out here, I was in three city leagues up until I got Hercules. So I was playing three nights a week. Right uh, on for six and a half years here in L.A. Here in L.A. Yeah, I was playing a Northridge League, Pepperdine, uh, Pepperdine. Um, Pasadena League and uh, Beverly Hills League. And do you still yeah. do any of that at all? Right well, now? I got a hoop right out here in front. You're parked, okay. you're parked near it right now. So, uh, yeah, my 12-year-old loves it. My, my 10-year-old wants to get back into it. He kind of took a year off, but now we go out there and shoot around. He's like, Dad, I think I want to play again next year. So, I, you know, I want, to, I want them to stay active. I want my kids to play sports, but it's I'm not going to force it on them. But I, just, I definitely want them to stay active doing something. 
Cool. Yeah, because you're. That's. I know that's a big part of your life because you, the charity you're involved with is Fit Fit World for Kids. A World Fit for Kids. Yeah, right. I started that. Uh, actually, they'd been around for about three years before I jumped into it. The kids that were part of the program told uh, the woman who runs it, Normandy Nice, that we should get a celebrity to endorse us or maybe get more notoriety to us. And then she goes, who do we get? And she goes, like, hey, Kevin Sorbo. And she goes, who's that? And he goes, he plays Hercules because she doesn't watch TV. She works 100 hours a week. You know? mm-hmm. So um, she got a hold of me through my manager. And I was actually looking for something to deal with with kids in an after-school environment. And that's what we do. And uh, first hour is physical fitness. Second hour is working with their grades. Uh, third hour is uh, is life. And whatever that may be, whatever questions they have, anything about going on to the next grade in their life or going on to college or going on to whatever it may be, we'll talk about anything and everything. But that it, it's proven after an hour of physical activity, your, your retention and attention level spike. So um, my program, uh, worldfitforkids.org, is number one after-school program in the state. We work with over 12,000 kids. Wow. L.A. County has a 54% dropout rate. Starting as low as fifth grade. We have a 98% graduation rate and a 12,000 kids in my program and a 67% higher GPA. So oh LA Unified God. should be embarrassed that we do a better job than what they do. They wow. should be. You know, and I go to D.C. once a year, meet with Congress. I meet with both, both bozos on both sides of the political fence. And uh, all I do is get a pat on the back and say, you're doing great work. And I, every year, 17 years I've been going, I go, why aren't you putting this program on every school district across yeah, America. That has got to be so frustrating. I mean, I would have loved to just added one school, one, one school district every year and we'd have 17 across the country now. We, mm-hmm. It's just amazing. But, you know, where there's a purposeful dumbing down of the kids in our country. It's amazing because mm-hmm. I think we're ranked 57th in the world now. Wow. You know what's really cool about that to me is the hour of mentorship afterwards, after the other stuff. It's yeah. just for anything in their life because how many kids you don't know, have a You know, whether it's sex education, whether it's yeah. uh, how to make an omelet, I don't care what it is. I mean, we really, the, it's an open forum for kids to really talk and be and not, not be afraid about being made fun of and something. Like that. It's just, hey, let's, because as I tell the kids, I go, look, we all think of these things and all of us are afraid to say it because we think, we, oh, it's too stupid and too, too embarrassed. You'd be surprised when you ask that question. There's probably another 20 kids in this room that wanted to know the same thing. Right. And, you know, my biggest thing to these kids, I tell myself, don't let, don't let your environment set your limitations. Don't let your friends, family, neighbors, don't let yourself set the limitations that you can achieve out of your goals. So that's the biggest thing I, I tell these kids is just to keep pushing forward and follow your dreams, as corny as that sounds. But I followed mine. You know, right. I moved to L.A. I didn't know a soul. It worked out all and right. I got every door yeah. slammed in my face for seven years. Like, I'm a seven-year overnight success guy. So, <laughs> you know, you know that, that actually brings – because I, I, one of my favorite books is this book called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And mm, sure. every so often he, sure. has, he has quotes from people. And you're right. one of the quotes. And it says uh, that you – you know, for every – job that you booked there were 200 that you didn't oh sure and so it was just a it was just a numbers game for you you know it's two big factors in my life i think uh pushed me forward not to be afraid of failing and one was my mom and dad certainly just my dad was always a believer in hard work so don't expect people to give you handouts don't expect you have to work hard in your life and it's coming from Mm -hmm. public school teachers that you know just work hard i started a paper out when i was nine years old in Minnesota, 80, 80 papers a day, six days a week, getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Did it for seven years. At nine years and old. And nine years old till I was 16. You know, riding my bike in January and February in 20 below weather with, you know, five feet of snow in Minnesota and delivering these papers. And I learned responsibility very quick. And unfortunately, 
all those years again at four thirty in the morning, I'm still a guy who gets up at four thirty five in the morning. So I've never learned to sleep in. But I, I value that time. I love that time. That that's yeah. my time in the morning. I, I love mornings. I love watching the sun come up and you know, I go go in my office and do my work and before my kids get up. So that that time is, is my time and I enjoy it. But yeah, it was um the other the other second thing was I used to caddy at a private country club and I used to ask these guys, all wealthy guys. All walks of life, all ages, and I said, "How did you get to where you are?" And every, everyone said, "Without failure." This one, this one, I was like eighteen, nineteen years old. Two summers, I caddied out there. They all said, um, "I failed," and it didn't scare me. It didn't. It didn't stop me. I took the best of thing that I learned from those failures, moved on to the next thing, and I failed again. I failed again. All these guys didn't hit you know anything until they had the late twenties, early thirties, where it really started paying off for them. People are afraid, like FDR said, the only thing to fear is fear itself, and that's what people fear. They're afraid of failure, so they don't do anything. Hmm. And that's what holds people back. And I think that applied to me when I got out to L.A. I didn't know a soul. I was a little bit nervous, a little bit intimidated, but I didn't care. I'd, I already had my SAG card. I worked my butt off through college, and I did a lot of commercial work, so I had that all-important union card. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a big battle won right there. I already had a lot of commercials, so I didn't have a problem getting a commercial agent out here. But it was tough to uh, get theatrically to get people to start sending you out, you know. And everybody's an actor in L.A., so it was easy to find out what classes to go to. And I audited a lot of acting classes. Yeah. You can ask anybody, you know. Yeah. Ask any waiter or bartender. Yeah. <laughs> is, hey. Ask your banker. Where yeah. should I go? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, I just put my – went to classes, audited a lot of classes. And, um, you know, I went after the classes that I found out were the toughest to get into, that you had to maybe start with – they're, you know, assistant, and you had to take six months there before they moved you up to the class or whatever. But, right. um, you know, and I saw the other actors that had taken that person. I said, you know what? I'm going to check these things out. And there were classes I audited and walked out within 10 minutes, just watching the first 10 minutes. Nah, that's not my cup of tea. Actually, I do want to talk about that. But sure. I, but before we get there, actually, what, what was the... When did you get bit by the bug, so to speak? I was, um, you know, it probably started earlier in my life when my mom loved old movies. So I remember as a six, seven, eight-year-old kid watching Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, um, Kirk Douglas, uh, Cary Grant, all those guys, you know. And I, and, and I, and I, loved, I loved watching these old movies with my mom, you know. Jimmy Stewart. I love Jimmy Stewart. And uh, when I was 11 and we went to the Guthrie Theater. I'm from the Minneapolis area, as I said. And the Guthrie Theater, if anybody knows theater, knows the Guth- Guthrie. It's a very famous theater. Yeah. Arlo Guthrie out of, out of England started it. It was The Merchant of Venice with Shakespeare. I don't know what the heck they were saying. You know, I was 11 years old, but I was mesmerized not only by the actors, but looking around people watching how everybody was mesmerized as well. And I got in the car. I was riding home with my mom and dad. My, you know, like, oh, what do you think? And I said, yeah, you know, I liked it. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to be an actor. My mom gave me one of those little pat in the leg and said, that's nice, dear. You know, mm-hmm. one of those things. Mm-hmm. So, but I, the, the bug was there. And... Uh, I guess I'm a, I'm a closet thespian because, uh, you know, we made fun of those guys in junior and high school that were in acting classes. I was a jock. Mm-hmm. There was this jock that w- wanted to be an actor. And we, we, they're a bunch of sissies to us, you know. And, and we're making fun of them. I'm, you know, hanging on to the peer pressure of being my buddies. But in reality, I'm walking by going, yeah, yeah, what's what are they doing there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to see what was going on. Uh-huh. So it wasn't really until I got to college, which, um, you know, thank God. You, I mean, it's it's when you reach that stage, hopefully maturity, but also you're entering a new level in your life where you're going, you know, I don't need to reinvent myself, but I can be a little more true to myself or who I am and not follow the peer pressure because I'm meeting a whole new group of people. 
Yeah. And so I double majored in marketing and advertising, but I had a minor in drama. So that's, I, I started, I knew I wanted to get a business degree. I just wanted to get that. I, I, I said, I want to get a real degree. Um, I had too many friends who got, you know, degrees in psychology and English. And I, when I say those aren't, th- those are real degrees, but you can't really do anything with those unless you're going to go into teaching. If you're going into teaching, fine. But I said, you know, get a business degree, get a, get an engineering degree, get a degree that you can actually do something with. Because every one of my friends who got a liberal arts degree, they're not doing anything with their degrees. Mm-hmm. They're in business. They're actually in business. And they all kind of wish they would have done business classes now, you know? <laughs> That's smart. Yeah, you, you, know, but I mean, you all have to take those liberal arts anyway. Yeah. You have to refill those requirements. I remember taking all the soci- sociology and psychology and all those classes as well. But I think it's good to get a rounded education. But I, I wanted to stay focused on business because the way I looked at it, it is called show business, not show show, right? Yeah, yeah. So I market and advertise myself is the way I look at it. And yeah. the business degree actually really helped me come out here to look at the business side of Hollywood. And it's been instrumental. I formed my own production company about seven years ago because I got tired of managers and agents not doing their jobs. And uh, I wow. fired my agent a long time ago. And I have a new manager I hired about three years ago. That's all I have in my life right now. I don't have an, an I was with ICM for years. Uh-huh. Uh, they made a boatload of money off me between Hercules and Andromeda. They had a 12-year span of, you know, 200 40, 250 hours of television. They made a fortune off me. And in between that, they did nothing. They're like lazy. Oh, it's just slow right now. I go, it's not slow right now. It's never really slow. They can say it's slow, but that's like that's their fallback line to every actor, trust me. So yeah. you actors out there, when they say that to you, it's a bunch of BS. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's always something. I mean, how, why is there 15 movies opening every week? Yeah, you know, there's always work out there. And there's always, and there's always sh- a lot of new yeah. TV shows. And, and you know, the, the advent of the, the computer now, you look at the, the, the web series, that's, all, that's only going to keep growing. That's going to get bigger. It's yeah. still like in its infant stage, but it's going to keep getting bigger. And we're starting to see it. I mean, I, I just oh, heard yeah. that, that Fox basically did away with their pilot season, and they're just making stuff year-round now. Yeah. Same way that Netflix and Hulu and yeah. Amazon are. I mean, stuff and they're is not being doing, shot nonstop. The, the last year was around 2005 when they were still following the old formula where they would do anywhere between 20 to even 30 pilots and throw them up against the wall and maybe pick seven or eight for the fall season. But right. they're releasing stuff year-round now. And they don't yeah. they don't do as many. They 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 probably do better homework. They're still not gonna be right all the time. There's still a lot, there's a still a high casualty rate, obviously, but they they will force it down your throat before it opens, so hopefully you'll watch it. So so okay, so you so in college you knew mm-hmm. that you were gonna be kind of be going this route. I did. I did. But I got I got sidetracked. Uh, my last year of college I started dating this uh, little hottie who was an international model. And she said, um, hey, why don't you come down to Dallas with me for a while? It's a big market down there. And I said, you know, I had two buddies who played football at SMU from my high school days. So I said, I'll try Dallas. So I went down to Dallas, signed with an agent down there. They were doing a lot of commercial work down there. Um, got a job as a bouncer at a club on weekends. And uh, it was great. This only job I had just working two nights a week. But I got tipped ridiculous at the front door because it was a really popular club. All the Dallas Cowboys came. And so it was just couple thousand people in this yeah, club every night paid off oh my god yeah, yeah they don't want to wait in line i was about they to slip you at 20 yeah too. you know they don't want they yeah. see they see an hour line to get in and they're yeah. like hey kev how you doing you know they slip you yeah, and yeah and um so uh i did that we were down there for about a year and a half and i said okay now i gotta get to la i took there was an acting class i got in with an acting group down there it was great kept you know going to do i knew what i wanted to do but, you know, I was young. I was in love. And then she said, oh, come on. i got to go to Europe. i got to go to Italy for the summer. Just come to the summer with Italy with me. Then we'll, then we'll move to L.A. And I said, okay. Well, three months in Italy turned into three and a half years in Europe. 
Wow. So I got completely sidetracked again, and I got into the print world, which I never thought I would get into. Number one, I'm 6'3". I'm Most of these models at that day when I was there in, in the 80s were all between 5'10 and 6 feet. They were 38 and 40 regulars. I was a 46 long, so it wow. didn't really fit in with what, what they were looking for. But I, surprisingly, um, Germany was my best market, maybe because I look German. I'm, I'm Scandinavian, I'm Norwegian, but... Um, I worked like crazy, and actually Italy was pretty good for me too. Versace fell in love with me. I did a lot of stuff at Versace, and because my height, I did a lot of the women's fashion shows because they're all like six two when they got their heels on. Right, so I was right. one of the few guys I could find that was taller than them. Right, it was a great seg- a sidetrack to my life that I never thought would happen. I, I spent eight months in Milan, six in Paris. A uh, year and a half in Munich, Germany, three months in Zurich, three months in London. I mean, it was amazing. And I shot, oh, gosh, I shot well over 30 commercials during that time. Did wow. a lot of commercials over there. So I had a great commercial tape to add on to the tape I already had. Uh, you know, it was funny after the three and a half years there, I said, you know, it's been great, but I'm, you know, I'm 26 now. I've taken four, four, four and a half years out of my life that I thought I'd be in LA by now. I said, I really want to go there. Yeah. And, she said, you know, I don't really want you to do that. She goes, I, I talked to my dad, and he wants to offer you a real estate job. So she was from Minnesota like I was. And I looked at her and I said, Crossroads. Whoa, really? Oh, yeah. It was it was, it yeah. was a, it, it harkens back to the old movies I used to see with my mom because it was one of those moments. I just looked at her and I said, you're not going to let me live my dream? I wow. said, you know, this is, even when we started dating five years ago, you knew this is what I wanted to do. And she just said, well, it's just, you know, it's such a tough business, a chance of making it or blah, blah, blah. And I just started packing. It was midnight. Wow. I just taken her a concert. We just saw George Winston. For anybody who wants beautiful piano music, we just saw George Winston. Yeah. So I remember I packed and I, I stood at the door. This was, I thought it should have been, I, I, I remember this in black and white is what I remember because it felt like an old movie to me. And she was sitting on the, on the edge of the bed and she's looking at me at the door. She goes, I can't believe you're leaving. I said, I can't believe you wouldn't let me live my dream. Wow. And I walked out, got in the subway, took my luggage, got on a midnight train. Uh, it wasn't to Georgia. It was you didn't to, waste uh, a second. It was to, no. It was, I got on a midnight train to Munich down to uh, Milan, Italy. Arrived down there at 6 or 7 in the morning. But I remember I stayed up all night in the train. Just hung my head out the window. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful, uh, hot August evening, you know. And I just remember just sort of looking at the stars and the mountains go by. And I just started saying, this is, i got to move on. Wow. This is my next phase. And then I... I um, Sent my commercial reel, had everything set up to LA, um, signed with a commercial agent. Uh, I stayed, actually, I stayed another four months in Europe, um, kind of bounced around doing different jobs and seeing friends and stuff because I knew I was wrapping things up. So I went home for Christmas time, get a call from the agent who I hadn't met yet, only talked on the phone, said, We got a job for you. I said, What? They said, They want to fly you to Australia to shoot this commercial, this company. So I, wow. I go to Australia. Shoot this commercial for uh, 10 days. I said, how long is my ticket good for? They said, it's good for a year. Huh. Called my agent. <laughs> I said, "I said, you know, I'm going to stay down here a while. I go, what? You just, you just moved out here. I still have the travel bug, and I stayed, in, I stayed and lived in Sydney, Australia for six more months. Wow. Did seven commercials and did a play while I was down there. Had a in, Australia. in Australia? In wow. Australia. So I was this commercial agent and had a black. The travel bug was still in me. And it's funny how... Not only moving to Dallas right out of, out, of, out of college, but moving to Europe, that sort of set the rest of my life for me in terms of what I'm traveling, all I've been doing. Because, you know, when I, when I did get Hercules, that was seven years in New Zealand. Then when I got Andromeda right away, and that was five years in Canada. And even all the years I was in L.A., prior to that, those six, seven years before I got Hercules, I shot a lot of, well over 100 commercials. And I, I, most of them were out of the country somewhere. 
Yeah. So you made yeah. great. You made a nice living just doing. You know what? Work. I never, I never had to do another job in L.A. Wow. I never had to bartend, wait tables, never had to bounce. Had to do. When I moved to L.A., I started working right away, right away commercially. I was very lucky that way, uh-huh. and that opened the world in terms of taking the acting class I wanted to take and hitting the pavement and treating show business like a business. To not have to worry about you know waiting tables 40 hours a week was a lifesaver for me. I was very fortunate. I realized that. I got Once I started working commercial, I didn't. I stopped even though I have to audition. The directors that did, I worked with some of the top director, commercial directors in the country. Once they did their one or two commercials, and they did say to the client, Kevin's great, here's the real look, he's good, he's professional, boom. And that's all and I got. And brought you in. Well, wow. I, 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 when I'm on a set, I'm, I'm a pro the whole way. You know, I like to have fun. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to do what the clients want and do what the director wants. Um, so what was the transition then? Well, actually, first, let's, let's start with the acting class thing because you yeah. mentioned that and I wanted to get sure. back to that. So you came out with kind of a business sense as yeah. well. Uh, and I just, I love that story about, well, I don't love it, but I mean, you know, you left your, your girlfriend <laughs> wow. to, to pursue this. So you were committed. You here's, knew, here's you knew the weird thing. Five years with this woman, I get Hercules, goes for seven years, becomes the most watched TV show in the world. Not even a phone call to say congratulations. Really? Nothing from her. And that, and that's, that was kind of weird to me. In a way, it kind yeah. of hurt. And I was like, really? Yeah. But I guess it was too much, you know, it was too much pain for her to have right. to, Damn it, he was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't know. This, do you, have you talked to her at all since? Never. No. haven't talked to her since. I ran. I go back to Minnesota every year. I, I go back for... Uh, I just got family and friends, and I love to go back every summer. And uh, I remember one year, I was at a... Minnesota Timberwolves game. I was doing a thing for People Magazine, and they they I went to the Vikings were in a playoff game. This was like in December, and the T Wolves were playing, and the the Minnesota Wild hockey team. And they're all in the same week at home, so they wanted me to go with my buddies to each one of these and do with the six page spread, you know, Sorbo back home, and you know, for People Magazine. And I was backstay, I was back at the basketball arena in the locker room, and I was talking to the players, Kevin Garnett, and all those guys when he was still there. And I walked out in the hallway. And behind the, sta- um, the basketball court, and a woman walks up to me and goes, Hi, I'm the neighbor of your old girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, gosh, she's very proud of you. She talks about you all the time. And I said, Really? <laughs> I said, It's interesting. <laughs> you know, because not even, not even a call to say, You know what? Congratulations, you made it. You would think you would get some after five years with someone. Yeah, yeah. Because we had a good relationship, but it was just, I, I was not going to sit there and walk away from what I wanted yeah. to pursue. That's amazing because a lot of people, I think, do get sidetracked. They do say, "Oh well, yeah, maybe, sure. maybe this is this is." I mean, this I, when is I, I look happen. at the number of guys during those years I was out here before I got Hercules, it got to a point I'd be up against the same group of guys for almost everything. Yeah, you know, and uh, most of them are gone now. When I say gone, they've given up the business. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're still alive, but just, they've given <laughs> I up. Killed them. You, you, the, you know, it, it beats you up. I think people come yeah. out here and they're in their in their teens and twenties, and uh, we all have that dream. We all have to have that desire. But I, I think the city beats you up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's why you got those 80, 80 hair bands were singing about the city of broken dreams, not the city of angels. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, it's the street of broken dreams, and it is. It's it's it's. It's tough, and it's easy to fall prey to it. You just got to try to keep yeah. a level head. To me, uh, I loved living in Santa Monica as a single guy. I was right near Gold's Gym. I was a mile from there, and you got the bike path there. That was my place to f- work out my frustrations <laughs> in the business, to work out all the rejection you have to go through. It was just, was just working out. Mm-hmm. That was my outlet. 
Wow. Well, it sounds like you worked a lot, though. But yet, for well, every- I did. But I mean, you, but I wanted other things. You know, you wanted. Yeah. To, I was, yeah. you know, it was hard to get into to get into. Um, you know, my old agent here when I first moved out here, his thing was, well, if you don't go to New York and become an uh, an actor on stage, you'll never have success as an actor anywhere else. And I said, okay, how many Broadway plays has Tom Cruise done? You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, seriously, it's like, come on, give me a break. I mean, you don't have to be a yeah. stage actor to have success in here. Is Harrison Ford known for his Macbeth? I mean, come on, right, yeah. right. right. <laughs> So it, it, to me, it's and there's nothing against it. I think stage work is is amazing, and I think you want the be, probably the best training you can do is do that. Um, I've actually been approached by the Guthrie to possibly do something down the road back in my hometown. I think cool. it'd be great to do it. Yeah, it's just you know it's just a man. I got offered a part to do um, uh, the Richard Gear part in Chicago on Broadway. You right know, on. but the timing wasn't right in terms of you know, and I should do that. You know, you should do these things that will make you grow as an actor and go after things that you're fearful of. It's 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 a good for you to do that. It's good for you to break down those walls one yeah. after the other. Cool. So so um, let's talk about the acting class thing because you mm-hmm. said that you you went to a couple and you were like, no, screw it. Like I want to start with something that's going to really challenge me. Well, so how- you know, <clears throat> I, I remember going walking to one class. I'm not going to name names and. Um, the coach wanted the students to get up to loosen up to be like amoebas and and do weird noises and roll on the floor and yell and bark and all. I said, yeah, I don't need to do that. She said, I don't need. I, just, I thought that that it's fine for some people. I'm sure um, acting classes really are 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 psychology classes really. And I, you know, I studied Stanislavski. You know, with the method. I, I, I'm a big bigger fan of, of Meisner's technique. Um, so it was a wonderful, really my first, first coach was Janet L. Henty, who's still around here in LA. I thought she was wonderful. And then I went to, um, um, somebody had to go through and spend about six months before I bumped into his class when they felt I was ready. It was Roy London's class in 1989, 1990. Roy passed away of AIDS in 96, but he was a great coach. And, uh, that class was cool because, you know, it, it had a lot of, of really strong actors in it. Matthew Perry was in there with me. We hadn't done anything at Brad Pitt, just done a couple things. I'm, I remember watching Matthew for the first time on stage, and I'm like talking to the girl next to me. I said, he really should be on a sitcom. This guy's really good. You know, of course, friends. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember uh, Brad Pitt bringing in his audition scene for Thelma and Louise. Well, he's only in that movie for 10 minutes, but he steals that movie. Yeah. Steals it. <clears throat> and people are going, who is this guy? And the next thing I know, we're out back of the class, and uh, he was over and off of... Where was his class again? It was off of Cole and like Vine, that area over there near Paramount. And uh, he says, he goes, yeah, I got to learn to fly fish. I'm doing this movie that Robert Redford is directing called River Runs Through It. I was like, what? You remember Robert Redford? Because Robert Redford and Paul Newman, for me, were like the two guys that, for me, the old movies, those guys were in from Butch Cassidy and all that. that that's, yeah. that's the guys, you know. And I said, wow. And then Brad does that movie, and then bye-bye Brad. You know, he's been taking over his end. I bump into him maybe once every couple of years. I don't see him that often anymore. But he was, he was a great guy. And, uh, you know, Gina Davis was in there. Yeah. And Charlotte Ross was in there. I mean, we had really good actors in that class. It was really good. And after wow. two years, though, I was, you know, because you only got to work once a month, which drove me crazy. And I remember I, I went to see Roy, and I said, Roy, you know, I'm going to drop out. He said, what? I said, yeah, you know, I've been here two years. Because Kevin, but we're making such great ground as you're doing so good. And I said, but Roy, I want to work. I want to work every week. I'm only working once a month. I'm paying all this money. I get up once a month. The other three, three you know, weeks, I just, I sit and just watch people. He goes, yeah, but you learn a lot by watching. I said, I, I'm, I don't doubt you during that, do that, but I don't know how much better you get. I watch a lot of basketball. I'm not getting better at watching it. <laughs> you get better by doing. So, 
I, I, I end up going in this other guy's class, Richard Brander, who's still, he's still around too. He's in, he's in the Valley. He was, uh, I worked every time. He got these scripts before the movies came out, so you're not affected by however that character, that actor played that part. Right. And it was just, I just, I, I just wanted to get up and work, and I wanted to, you know, I don't care how critical I want to be. I just wanted to get up and work every day and be in front of people and get past all that BS that we get with our nerves. Because, you know, you see how weird people act when it's your family and you turn a camera on at Christmas time. You can put the camera yeah. on them. You can say, oh, they get uncomfortable. It's just weird. And I go, just be yourself, you know? So yeah. it's not as easy as it looks. And people, you have to get past that. And I think commercials were great for me. Because I did have, I did, one of my coaches told me back then, I think it was Janice said, she goes, it's good to put the miles on. You're on a set. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a commercial. But commercials are far more detailed than movies and television are. You know, they got to sell a product in 30 seconds. They're picky about every little thing. So um, it really, you learn to be very anal about, uh, you know, what it's like to be in front of the camera. And that's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to just get past that and all these people and clients staring at you and being critical. Because everything in Hollywood is about rejection. Let's face it. You walk in a room, they're going, what don't I like about this person? Yeah. yeah. Every actor can write the same book, trust me, no matter what level of, of, of success you've had. We all can write the same book. And it's like, okay, they... They, they're trying to get rid of you. What do you got to do to make them pay, you know, pay attention and take notice? Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Hopefully you all enjoyed part one of Trevor's interview as much as Trevor did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty sweet. Yeah. At least, uh, at least you know... You got to hang out in a in a mansion for a couple of hours there. Yeah, with a, with a cool guy, and I I shared this on the uh, Facebook group about how it was funny. I'll tell this story real quickly here. Like we were finished with the interview, um, and we Jen Jen and I Jen really made this whole thing happen. So major kudos to her. Uh, but we she and I were packing up my car, and, and you know I, I drive a little Mazda Protege, and it's. It's not, it's, it works great. It's, I love the car. It's, it's paid off, so it doesn't cost me really any more than the gas and maintenance to, to drive it around. But, you know, it's, it's seen better days. It's, it's got a dent in the side and the bumper's a little scuffed up. I haven't washed it in a while and the, the power locks are broken on the side. So, uh, he walked us out to my car and my arms are full of all this gear and I was dropping stuff and, and it's parked next to, next to his, like, you know, forerunner or whatever nice SUV he had there in the, in the uh, driveway and i go to unlock the car and it makes this really loud kind of like crunching electronic sound because the power lock is broken and and like one of the papers that i was holding like flew off into the wind and he was just standing behind me and and it was like this awkward silent moment and i was just thinking like oh god this is embarrassing like like they're like such a huge like difference in the uh level of uh like affluence here (laughs) you know and um, and then there was a moment where he just said, uh, I just felt him behind me, and he just went, hey, man, you work out, don't you? And I was like, uh, I mean, yeah. And he goes, you want to see my man cave? And I was like, uh, sure. So he was like, Here, c- come on back, come on, come on back. So we put the stuff in the car, and he took us to the back of the house. And he showed us, you know, his private putting green and his banana tree and his peach tree and his pool. And then he's got this little separate, like, bungalow thing, and it's got these, like, weight machines and free weights and this huge flat screen TV in there with all his, his stuff. And we, we went in there and he's like, this is where I work out every morning. I'm watching breaking bad while I work out. And I have wine over there with my wife, you know, in the night and we have this beautiful view and he just showed it all to us. And, 
And he just talked about the artwork that people had sent him, and he showed us that. It was just the coolest, like, 20-minute little bonus thing. Uh, and he was just giving us a little tour. And uh, and we were just, you know, mouths agape, kind of. We were like, God, this is really awesome. And then, uh, and then at one point, I said something like, this is really beautiful. Like, congratulations on, on your success. And, and he turned to me, and he said, yep, this is what book and two series will get for you. <laughs> and then he kind of winked. And it was just the funniest moment because after this chat about how he had had a lot of setbacks and he had been working really hard to make things happen and he was very focused on his vision for him to take us back to show us all that and then make that comment. It was just, it was a joke, you know, it was, it was, it it wasn't arrogant in any way. It was, it was a fun, cool thing uh, that we got a moment we got to kind of share in the context of our conversation. And it was just, it was a really cool just thing and i just it just made me love the guy even more so well just the this the sheer generosity in 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 all of those moments just the fact that you know someone like that someone like tony horton someone like uh neil mcdonough would invite us into their home where they're where they live with their family you know to 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 show that level of trust and generosity and bring bring us into their their home uh let us you know take over their 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 lives for an hour to to you know record something and then to go you know hey like let's hang out and and be you know uh, friends for uh, you know some more time that's off the air that's 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 just me giving of of my time and yeah it's i totally hear what you're saying and um it's it really is a a beautiful amazing thing and i'm so i'm so grateful for all the people that we've had an opportunity to meet and talk with um because of this because of this show yeah and you know if if it's if it's shown me anything if it's proven anything to me it's that that kind of generosity of spirit and time and all that is is almost like a prerequisite for being successful I mean, I can count on one hand with many fingers left over the number of quote-unquote celebrities and successful people that have been jerks, you know? Like, there's so few, and usually they don't last that long. But the people that are really consistently making great things happen in their lives and in the world are also the most generous, giving, um, sweet people that you could ever hope to meet. And I, I just noticed that theme and it's just really wonderful to to see that over and over and over again with these people. Like when I met Colin Farrell at the Douglas a while ago, I was kind of expecting him to be kind of a jerk because that's kind of the way the media paints him. And uh, he was the nicest guy I think I've ever met. I've ever met. He shook my hand with both hands, looked me in the eye, you know, remembered my name, repeated it several times. And then he asked me about my life. He didn't want to talk about him. He was asked me what I did and where I'm from. And I was like so charmed with the guy. <laughs> you know, so it's you see that over and over again, and you start to realize, like, oh, okay, so this is almost part of what's required, like a, a, a strong work ethic, but also this this spirit of generosity and genuine caring. And uh, you're getting you're getting married like next month, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're right. I'll stop. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. I'm yeah. just giving you a hard time. <laughs> but it, you know, it makes you a big like. I left that after having talked to him. I, I left being like, okay, Colin Farrell's my favorite movie star, and I'm gonna go get all his movies. And you know, like I was I was an evangelist for the guy. I love that. Yeah, I love. That. Anyway, well, good. Uh, As it should be. Yeah. Um, What's your pick of the week, my friend? So, uh, yeah, my pick of the week in the vein of all this personal finance stuff that I've been kind of 
re-exploring and, and really excited about is a book called The Millionaire Next Door. And I've read it before. In fact, I read it years ago and was really fascinated by it. It's a, it's a pretty comprehensive study of some of the wealthiest, not even wealthiest, of, of basically millionaires in America. But the trick, the trick is that basically what the book goes on to, to demonstrate in very minute detail is that the people who are of the highest net worth very rarely look or act or live in such a way that you would think that they're, you know, multimillionaires. Mm-hmm. Generally, the, the, gist, the gist of it basically is that there's two types of, of people. There are what he calls, or they, because it's two authors, what they call prodigious accumulators of wealth and under accumulators of wealth. And the prodigious accumulators of wealth are the people that really are working just like your regular, quote unquote, regular jobs. They're firemen and they're secretaries and they're postal workers and they're, you know, whatever. They're like fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year, but they're living very frugally and they spend a lot of time budgeting and researching investments and planning their financial lives and saving, 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 saving. Uh, and just just treating money as if it's a precious kind of asset that is not to be squandered. And then you've got on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the under accumulators of wealth. And these people are generally the really high income earners. These are your doctors and your lawyers, people making five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year. But they spend it so much that that uh, their net worth is extremely low and that if they were to lose their job, um, they wouldn't last m- more than a month or two, and they have virtually no investments or savings, and they're all about like displaying their wealth. You know, they, the fancy car, the big house, um, fancy cars in many cases, the big house, like a lot of like de- very quickly depreciating assets that they that they purchase, and it talks about their lifestyle and how it affects their children, and then and they, and then like demographically how it stacks up with the different uh, countries and races and genders and call. It's it's fascinating, fascinating study. And if I think should, um, I, I don't think it was on the podcast, but I think I remember you telling me about this book. Um, just the two of us sort of hanging out um, one time. I, I don't remember the context, but I do remember the content that you're speaking about right now. And I think you've told me about this before, so I'm uh, I'm I'm, I'm re fascinated. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really pretty cool, and it just you know it just. Um, it's just it's just very life affirming to to hear that you know like all you have to do is just be conscious about how you spend your money and and you can really get ahead and i think the the trap is that in this culture we're taught and conditioned to think very short term you know you think you only really we at least i'll speak for myself but i think it's kind of culture wide is it we're taught you know like oh can i pay my rent this month can i pay my credit card minimums this month Yes, cool. I can afford to go out and and eat tonight, or I can afford to you know lease this car for only two hundred and fifty bucks a month. And if we keep thinking that way, there's really no way that we're going to amass wealth because we're just constantly borrowing money or or just treating it as if it's not an asset that can work harder for us than we can. Yeah, but it's this, a, it's sustainable just barely, but it's not really. Um, abundant yeah yeah and so the you know the story just being if we start thinking long term and like start with just thinking a year and then 10 years down the line if i took this five bucks instead of going and buying subway right now because i think i'm hungry maybe i i go home and stick it in the savings account or pay off my debt faster or maybe I, I invest it and then 10 years down the line that five bucks could turn into quite a lot um if you kind of repeat the process every week 
so it's just it's just powerful man it's powerful stuff and in my 30s now i'm starting to really think long term about this and i'm just excited excited about this new awareness so the millionaire next door what is uh what's your pick of the week um, my pick of the week is is a little unconventional, but um, I'm just so impressed with their work, and I'm and I wanted to sort of bring it to the attention of other actors because I really do feel like this is the future happening now. So my pick of the week is actually a video game company called Quantic Dream, and Quantic Dream is is one of the companies sort of leading the way in um, motion capture. Uh, video games, and <clears throat> they are really setting the standard um, because not only are they using um, motion capture to, to, to tell the story of their games, um, their games are, are almost entirely filmic and, and story-driven. And their most recent game, for instance, is this uh, game called Beyond Two Souls, which starred mm. Willem Dafoe and Ellen Page. I mean, you know, the, the, the level of talent they're, that, they're, that they're getting on their games is, is, is amazing. And they're using uh, this motion capture technology that we've spoken about on the podcast before with guests like Emily Rose and, and Woody, Sh- uh, Woody Schultz, uh, you know, who has done a lot of motion capture stuff as well. But um, we are entering into this new storytelling era and what i i love about what they're what they're doing is that they really are blending two of my favorite things which is video games and films and they are doing it with a sense of quality and a sense of storytelling last year at tribeca they they premiered the game at a film festival, and and the guy who introduced um, uh, David, uh, his name is David Cage, the, the the CEO of Quantic Dream, even said, you know, what an interesting uh, time in our history where here I am at a film festival introducing a video game company, and so that mm-hmm. just gives you an idea of 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 kind of what their what their what their work is like, and so they did this ninety minute panel. Uh, Ellen Page was there. They did this Q and A with um, with with the creators of the game and her and some of the other people from the cast and and showed uh, footage from the film and showed some behind the scenes footage from them actually making it. So even if you, you don't have a PlayStation or it's not something that you're that you have access to, I would encourage you to go online and 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 sort of seek out some of these some of these videos because. It's only getting better with the PlayStation Four, for instance. It's uh-huh. it's the the quality of the graphics is so good that it's almost crossing over um, what is known as the uncanny valley, which is um, films like um, the Polar Express, where when you watch them, it's 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 not real enough to be real, and it's not fake enough to be you know it's not computer generated enough to be fake, and so your brain like there was people who were like almost throwing up when they saw that movie because their brain, your brain just can't process it. It's the, it's the uncanny valley between the fake and the real. And 
it's sort of PlayStation 4, the graphics are so good that they're crossing over the Uncanny Valley into a realistic, a photorealistic um, uh, graphics while you're playing the video game. So essentially, more and more actors are going to be called upon to fill these roles that were originally completely computer-generated. I just think it's a fascinating storytelling medium, and I'm, I'm really excited about it, and I, and I think that uh, actors should at least be aware of it because it's, uh, it, it, it's something that... It, it, it's another. It's another job, essentially. It's another. It's another medium in which we can work. Huh? If that makes sense. Yeah. So. Cool, man. All right, sweet. Quantic Dream. And what's the name of game, the name of the game again? Uh, the, their most recent title is called Beyond Two Souls. Cool, man. Awesome. And we also have a uh, we also have a listener pick of the week, which is fantabulous. Always love getting those. Um, this comes from listener Matt Bailey. Alibri? Is that how you... I, I don't know how to I, say this. I think it, it... Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm on the website, and it looks like... Alibri.com? Yeah, Alibri.com, and it, it's it's pretty pretty cool. It's kind of like a, a hybrid between, like, Half.com and Amazon.com, it looks mm-hmm. like. So it's uh, discounted books and DVDs and CDs. I mean, typically, they, it looks like they're used. There's a whole section where you can buy and rent textbooks and there's a rare books section and there's a deals section and um yeah, and matt also says that there's uh there are uh, some plays and scripts available on there which is one of the reasons why he wanted to pass it along to yeah. uh to our listeners yeah i think i think owning plays and scripts like actually owning those like that's what that's a smart investment i think i think it's important as an actor to have a library of of you know the scripts and things that uh that are seminal to our our work as it were mm, totally um, so here's a great place to go get them for i mean he says he gets a lot of his books from them used for 99 cents plus shipping so that, i mean that you can't beat prices like that love that so and, matt, uh, thank you for this <clears throat> matt yeah not only thank you for your listener pick but uh thank you for your patronage Matt is uh, our newest uh, our newest patron, right? Yeah, yeah, he is, and uh, we're thrilled to have him on board. He's he's been a listener of the podcast for a long time, and uh, he's an actor, a writer, and a musician in New York City. I think he and I would get along well. Uh, <laughs> when he's not acting on stage or on camera, he says he revels in guitars, nonfiction, sports, and coffee. Uh, and we are identical except for the coffee part, <laughs> but he does say he loves Just coffee. Swap it out for tea. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he's in between gigs. He says he's been making his own work. Currently he's shooting a new TV series, adapting a screenplay and finishing up his first album of original music. And his website Boom. is mattbailey.info and he's on Twitter at just Matt Bailey. And, uh, that's, that's actually one full word, just Matt Bailey. That's his Twitter handle. And I think that's, uh, he sounds like he's a busy dude, a creative dude, a dude who will not be contained, and uh, I love that. So, Matt, thank you so much. Um, people that are listening, check him out. It sounds like a good guy to know, uh, and and uh, it sounds like there's a lot of interesting things in his future. So, same thing applies to Matt that applies to Pavel. If uh, I, I know he he travels a lot for work, uh, for acting gigs and stuff, he. Um, he, he actually worked at uh, Center Theater Group last year in Los Angeles. Yeah, so, that's right. uh, I don't know where he is now, uh, but Matt, if you're if you're in the city, uh, meaning New York City, 
um, please let me know. Send me a tweet. Send the podcast a, an email, and I'd I'd love to. I'd love you know we Trevor and I both. I, I know we say it a lot, but we we love meeting our listeners. So absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, cool, man. Well, I think that does it. I, I we've got a kind of boogie because uh, we're we're tight on time. Um, yes, sir. But um, you guys know where to get in touch with us. I hope insideactingpodcast.com. We take emails, we take voicemails, we take comments, we take tweets, we take Facebook posts. Uh, we take we, donations. We take donations. <laughs> yeah, uh, you too can be a patron. Uh, or if you don't want to re- donate on a recurring basis uh, every month. You can still just pop in and, and shoot us a little bit of money uh, as a sign of support um, uh, on a one-time, just kind of, you know, one-time donation. So feel free to do that. Just start at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com, and uh, the donate button is pretty visible on the right-hand side there. Uh, and, of course, we always appreciate um, iTunes reviews. So if you are uh, not willing or able to make a financial contribution at this point, that's totally cool. We would love it if you might head over to our iTunes page and uh, give us a good rating. Let us know how the podcast, let us and the internet know how the podcast <laughs> has, has uh, contributed to your journey and uh, and um, and share the love, basically. That, that makes a big difference for, for us. Yeah. <laughs> the, the internet wants to know. The, that's right. It is becoming sentient. It is. It is. All right. Well, I think that does it then for uh, 144. Do you have anything else to, uh, to <laughs> No, add? man. That's it. That's it. All right. Rock and roll. Then for uh, Jen, our production coordinator, Cesar, our technical producer, and myself, uh, I always screw this up. Let me just start that again. For Jen, Cesar, and no, God damn it. Should we, should, should we, should we back up? Or? Yeah, let's back up. <laughs> okay. All right, so that's about it for episode 144. I'm Trevor Algott, um, and on behalf of uh, Jen, our production coordinator, and Cesar, our technical producer, we thank you for listening. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, nothing is impossible. Amen. I still screwed it up. I don't know how to... I got to figure that out. You just put yourself last. Yeah. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that, Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download.